Hey, everybody, here we are. We're getting going with Chaos and Company. The Fall Line podcast is back, and um, we have been doing some stuff over the summer, but not as much as we're going to be doing now. And we're starting season two. This is episode one, and we have Sue Kramer is here with us. And uh, Sue is our examiner coach currently. She's also previously been our ACE team coach, which is the Advanced Children's Educator, and many other things in PSIA, Aussie. And uh, welcome, Sue. Thank you. Great to see you guys. Yeah. And of course, my partner's here, Angelo Roth, doing all the important stuff while I just sit here and ask questions. <laughs> what important, yeah, because what important stuff do I do? <laughs> you keep me on track, man. Make sure I actually do the questions. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's a lot of pressure. Uh, yeah. So what's been going on, Sue? How has your summer been? Um, summer has been fun, actually, you know, different from last year, obviously getting out a little bit more, um, for fun, we've been doing a lot of, um, mountain running and trail running. So it's been, it's been awesome, actually. Cool. So you've been in the studio, I assume I've got one here that I'm drinking out of now. Yeah, I have been, um, I will be going back in there after this interview. So been doing a lot of um, plate orders and dinner sets for people, which has been, it's been pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cause uh, last year was difficult because you do most of your mark, your uh, sales at uh, farm stands and farm markets, right? Yeah, I do. Um, I was still able to reach out to people through, you know, online stuff and I still got some orders because everybody was stuck in their houses and they were like, I don't really like my old dishes that I got from my great grandmother. You know, no offense, great grandma, but um, yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, hey, we've got Sue here this morning to chat a little bit about some fitness stuff, some workout stuff. Um, as many might know, and some don't, Sue wrote an incredible book as she's going through her master's program, um, Be Fit to Ski. And um, it talks a lot about how to get ready for skiing, um, specific to skiing. And we wanted to have Sue on because a lot of you out there have been asking about some fitness stuff. So um, kind of my first question, Sue, is um, is that many of the listeners are looking for more info and advice on their season fitness and workouts. Um, I'd like to know how much your overall fitness comes from just your active lifestyle. I know you trail run, you like the mountain bike, um, hike. I know. Is, there, is that the mainstay for your active outdoor life or what else goes on? Right, right now it is. Um, well, first of all, thanks for asking. And um, right now it is just because um, it's, it, you know, we like to be outside, right? The three of us know each other through skiing, and that's an outdoor sport, the obvious. I, I just like doing stuff outside. And as much as I have tried to be a gym person, um, I'm not. And I think my first job after college was working at a gym. I don't know if I had mentioned this before, but I was, uh, my job was to sell memberships, like through cold calls, you know, here's the phone book and just start making calls. And I don't know, I think you guys know me well enough to know that that was the most awful thing for me to do. I could see Angelo smiling right away when you said that you had to do cold calls. He's like, no way. So let's try to not it was laugh. Terrible. It was terrible. So anyway, 
Um, I did work out, I did work out in a gym, but it just wasn't for me, but, uh, yeah, anything outside. So the thing is that, um, now that it's September one, I'm looking at my plans that I gave to some ladies, my whitetail ladies last year. And I'm thinking, okay, well, how far off am I by just doing what I've been doing outside? You know, what do I need to catch up on? And there's definitely some, you know, power related activities and some high burst, high intensity stuff that I need to um, just pick up. I need to do. So. And um, how much of your um, workouts are based around aerobic workouts? Like, I mean, do you have a, do you focus on a big aerobic base of training? Um, cause I know I'm in your book and it talks a lot about the anaerobic side of things, um, where skiing goes in that anaerobic mode, but yeah. I mean, how much of the base of your fitness is more of an aerobic piece right now? It's pretty aerobic. It's been, you know, um, like 80% aerobic for the last five months. Um, but I don't think of that as a bad thing. And, um, I don't think of it as, as a bad thing because, you know, a lot of the research says that you still need that aerobic base in order to, um, in order to make really good gains in anaerobic. So I, it's more like, it's more like if I continue down that road heading into the season, I'll probably suffer in some way. So this is kind of, um, like a, a breaking point where, or a threshold where I need to start changing some things. Uh, but up to this point, it's been okay to, to have a largely aerobic, you know, training plan. So if someone hasn't done anything, which maybe we we'll get some bad comments here, Angelo, but uh, <laughs> I know some of them, maybe even some of our listeners, and I know a lot of our members out there probably haven't done an aerobic style summer um, and don't. And it's like September one and, you know, the excitement starts and we start posting stuff. And I put one out there, a share from Blizzard about, you know, I want to be in the powder. Why do we have to wait? I can't wait. I want it now. And, um, you know, Jess joked, you're not ready yet. <laughs> so what should some of our members do that haven't done much? Like how bad are they going to be off without that aerobic summer? So this is where this is where I think it gets pretty interesting um, from my standpoint is that you can still you can still make gains to your um, aerobic capacity by doing some high intensity work. With that said, you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to like get off your couch, turn the remote off, you know, or power down your TV head out the door and start running up the hill sprints. You don't want to do that, but you know, you could, you could start to do, um, if that's what you've been doing, if you've been doing nothing all summer, um, we'll go to the extreme. What's most important is to warm your body up because you're just not in the mode. So doing some brisk walking, is good to loosen up your ankle joints, your knee joints, your hips, you know, get the blood flowing to your muscles. Um, a 10 minute warm up is really, really important. 
And then after that point, you know, you could add like a light jog or a light cycle, or if you are inside, um, picking up some weights and just light weights and um, getting the joints to move, warming up. Um, so I think that's a like a great thing to do on week one, <laughs> September one through September 7th, honestly, is warm up. And then lightweights, do some squats, do some, you know, upper body stuff. Uh, plank, I know plank is, you know, seems so ho-hum these days, but I, I'm i a full believer in the plank. What do you think, Angelo? Do, surprisingly, I do planks all the time. Yeah. Um, and and I, I think we've talked about this before, and I, we're kind of in the same mindset. I, I don't, I'm not a gym rat either. Um, and even when I run or something like that, if I'm just doing a road run, I get bored. So I'll throw in burpees like on a road run. And I, I have a little loop that I do from the house here. And I have three spots on that run where I, I stop running and I do 10 burpees three times. So, um, that's a great core exercise, but if, yeah, I'll catch myself in the kitchen, you know, standing there waiting for water to boil. Like why not? plank and wait for the water to boil so i do quite a bit of them that also comes last year i think we talked about this on a couple of podcasts when i got hurt and worked with a few pts to to rehab margie king just said do a bunch of planks you know and that was after i healed and got to the point where my back could tolerate that so i i do it in an effort to not like fall back into that the the um the repercussions from that injury Yes. So yes, planks. Yep. There it is. Everyone's Side got a plank. Too. Like well, that, that. Um, that makes me think of uh, it's a Scandinavian um, um, exercise technique or method called fartlek, and I have I've mentioned it here and there in some stuff that I've put out there. It's um, basically you take like like down in town we have a. Um, our rec center has a mile long loop walking track and you could take that mile long track and basically break it up into short sections. So you can, you can walk the first, you know, what I like to do is from the starting point to that Oak tree or, you know, from the Oak tree to that park bench, or, you know, just breaking it up in terms of distances and you would, uh, do exactly what you're talking about. Angela was like, walk one part, then jog another part, then maybe sprint the next part. And maybe you do 20 jumping jacks at the swing set or um, throw in five push-ups um, at the baseball field, you know, that type of thing. And then, you know, before you know it, you've you've been aerobic and anaerobic probably for certain portions of time, you've broken it up. It's not boring. You know, you're outside, you're getting fresh air and you're moving your body in different ways. That's all very applicable to skiing. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I would dare say that I think there's a fair number of us, um, in ski instruction who have short attention spans. I'm not going to throw like diagnoses out, but (laughs) for us, I, don't know, I kind I, of feel like you throw them out all the time. Oh, okay. 
All right. Speaking for myself, I get bored very easily. So that's the type of thing that works really well for me. And I think like that made me think that, you know, Dave and I talk quite a bit. And one of the things that we talk about is how inconsistent we are with workout. (laughs) And it's, it's really not out of lack of desire. It's just, we both have a really, really crazy summer schedule. So you can't be consistent. And that's a real danger if you want to be, if you want to perform athletically. Inconsistency can be bad. But the flip side of that too, I think, is bad. When you are when you're so consistent that you only do one thing, like I only run or I only go to the gym. And I, I know quite a few ski instructors who are training to be, you know, they want to be up and comers and, and working on a uh, on a plan to like get to their next level and like with a six day gym routine. And I think that's fine. But if you don't mix it up, like you're saying, if you don't get creative and like move your body in different ways, you don't get to know your body. And then, and then we here in clinics and and on the Hill and whatnot, like people have this kinesthetic unawareness, like this disconnect, like, what do you feel? I don't know what I feel. Tell me what I'm supposed to feel. I don't know what you're supposed to feel. You got to tell me what you feel. But if you don't feel your body do things in different situations, you don't practice that skill. So that can be like working out is great, but you can take it to some extreme where it's it's not maybe harming you, but you're not benefiting in these other ways, like kinesthetic awareness. Right. And so exactly to what you're saying, you know, I I've always liked to run. Yes, I'd like to um, road road bike as well, but I think I told you guys that I had ridden my bike from Connecticut to Colorado, and then I didn't get on a bike for ten years. So, um, <laughs> I, a good experience. <laughs> I've always I've always liked to run, but then had some back issues, and so was looking for some softer um, surfaces to run on, and you know started with trail trail running then and have really just recently been thinking a lot about how beneficial how like seriously beneficial trail running is for what we do on snow because you talk about that um that person who's in the gym six days a week great workouts like probably ripping body you know but the ground is always the same like the ground isn't moving underneath them and, you know, such a huge portion, like the benefit of trail running is just that is, is how, how changing, how variable the, the ground is underneath you. And so you're having to constantly readjust um, where your center of mass is over your base of support, you know, constant. And I'm thinking about like just yesterday um, when I went out, I'm making these minor, minor adjustments to where my upper body is relative to my feet it's 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 pretty cool and you know from a psychological standpoint you're completely present there's like you can't be thinking about other things when you're negotiating rocks and soft dirt and that sort of thing and i i just i can't talk about how beneficial it is enough yeah, because that, that's one of the things that I'm going through your book is um, that 
you emphasized it a little bit in there that we have to do things that make us move in three planes of space because mm. that's where we're moving. And, and the gym thing, you can do it a little bit, but it, it is nothing's moving. The floor is the same. And, um, you know, when I talk to a lot of the crew and a lot of our staff that are out doing stuff, most of the stuff we do, rollerblading, mountain biking, running, trail running, all this stuff tries to put us in a, a different mode of space. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in there, it was neat, like looking through the, where you have those charts in the book of what different um, acti- activities to do. You made sure that you had to work in all three planes because that's where we're skiing. I just, I mean, is that like one of the magic bullets? Like, because people are looking for that. You know, and I don't know if there's a magic bullet. I don't think there is a magic bullet. What's the best exercise? And to me, it sounds like listening to you and and everything that I've known so far is that the magic bullet is moving all three planes and be versatile. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, that's a it's a really good question. Magic bullet. Magic bullet is having a plan. Uh, um, that's <laughs> which doesn't really answer your question well i think it does i I like that answer magic bullet is having a plan and and trying to stick to it or doing your best at sticking to it so there's certainly um great value in in throwing weights around there's huge value in it um for a certain part of the year there's huge value on going out on a flat flat road and spinning for uh, two hours Huge value, huge value in in hiking and trail running, um, or plyometrics. But I'm not going to set out on doing some box jumps in April. Yeah. I'll die. <laughs> you know, um, that's because that's when you need to really recoup and allow your body some time to just rest and kind of deal with those aches and pains and and that sort of thing. Sleep. You know, we haven't talked about sleep. That's a big part of it too. So I, I think, um, you know, like Angelo, you said your summer has been crazy. And um, is there a way that you can, if you think back, if you reflect back on this past summer, is there a way that you, way that you could have done it a little bit better in giving yourself some sort of space, time to do something more? to do something more for yourself. Was that a direct question it is, yeah. that you wanted me to answer? I do. Again, well, the answer is yes. And I, I did that. And I like shifted gears about halfway through the summer and became much more purposeful. And it's funny you asked that because I was just going to ask you. Um, you said something a bit, a bit ago that made me think. I was going to ask you if you use a fitness watch like while you're exercising do you keep track of things yes absolutely so i i bought a new watch this summer and and because i'm on these bicycle tours they're a week long and it's chaotic like it's uh a a typical day on a bicycle tour is um 6 a.m till 10 p.m you know with guests cleaning bikes planning for the next day grocery shopping and it and it's anywhere from four to six or seven days in a row like that. So it can be overwhelming if you let it. So I so I came up with a new plan in the summer. And part of it was to get this fitness watch to just sort of track what was going on with me and 
how many minutes did I work out this week or how many minutes was I active this week and that kind of thing. And the the metrics that I found most interesting and the ones that I'm keeping a track, like keeping track of now, um, and I feel like I'm having a result. One is my stress level and one is resting heart rate. And the other one is my sleep pattern. You know, so like last night, you you asked a question before um, we hit the record button here today. We went out to dinner last night and I um, I had a beer at dinner. And then when we got home, I had one and that was it. Went to bed and I woke up this morning, like feeling like I really didn't sleep that well. So I looked at the data from my sleep and I had like zero REM sleep last night. And I oh. did a quick internet search, alcohol and sleeplessness. And the very first thing that popped up was how alcohol suppresses REM sleep. And like, I looked at my previous week where I didn't have anything to drink. And I had all these great nights of sleep, you know? So that's a long way, like, that's a long way of answering your question. Yes, um, I did make changes to become more purposeful, but the things that I'm learning about myself, those are the benefits, you know, like specific to me. And I'm interested moving forward. Like if I don't have any drinks this week and I look at my REM sleep for the upcoming week, is it going to be better than it was last night? You know, and if the answer is yes, and there's a pattern and, it, and it's worth going with, but it takes a certain amount of commitment to look at that stuff. Part of, part of your planning statement. You had zero minutes last night at REM? Zero? Yeah, zero minutes. And I like, I totally Damn, I feel had, it today. I had an hour and 49 minutes, man. Did you? Crushed you. Yeah. Crushed me. <laughs> and we're going to be even competitive about how much REM sleep we get. <laughs> I, can't, I can't sleep. I can't sleep with the watch because I wake up and I, I look at it. You know, how am I doing? How am I doing? The first time I had this uh, Fitbit to to measure sleep, it showed. I think that was a problem. I was up seventeen times. It's like no, I'm like, ignorance is bliss. Oh, <laughs> Must be the geekiness in Angelo and I looking at the watch. How many yeah. minutes of REM sleep did we get? Yeah, but I will say, but I will say that um, about eight years not eight years ago, tw- two thousand eight we got a Tempur-Pedic mattress and, um, you know, it was touted as being amazing, right. For sleep. And it turned out to not be all that great for me personally. Um, it was too soft. And so just this morning, uh, I woke up, so we got a new mattress much more firm. And I, when I woke up this morning, I felt like my muscles actually recovered overnight because I wasn't trying to hold myself up, literally hold myself up from the softness of the foam. Mm. And, you know, that this, that could take this conversation in a whole new direction. But um, I just think it's interesting, you know, you're talking, we're talking about all these things outside of our bodies, like a watch, a mattress, it could be, you know, the amount of light, like the, the lights that you have, from your TV glowing in your bedroom, like all these things disrupt the the amount of time that you give yourself to rest. And how can we optimize, you know, our rest? Because that's such a huge part of 
um, the um, periodization, the plan, <laughs> right? So sleep is definitely part of it and, and pay a little bit, pay a little closer attention to how you can do that better. Even if you have to compete with your friends. <laughs> we have to. Is there, is there a, is there a REM sleep feature on Strava? Cause I, I don't, I don't love, <laughs> I'm not on Strava, but if there's mm. that, I'll get on there and fight you every night for yeah, I haven't, REM, I haven't that, yeah. REM sleep supremacy. You I'll know, that, on, just. another thing that, <laughs> with the planning, and this is kind of outside too. It's not a, it's not a piece of gear. It's not an external thing, but um, I had a, I had a really great conversation the other day with a friend of mine who's a skier. He's an avid skier. He's not a, he's not a ski pro. He's a pass holder. Very curious guy, philosophy professor that I have known for a long, long time. And he asks great questions about skiing, but he doesn't look at it the same way we do. Like there's a, there's a difference in the way we go about it. And he said to me, each of us skis for our own reasons, you know? Um, and I think that's important when you're, when you're talking about exercise and when you're talking about planning, like, why do you do it in the first place? Why do you ski? Like ever really thought about how you would answer that question if somebody asked you, cause you could quit, like mm-hmm. you don't have to do it, but why do you do it? What, what brings you to, it? you know, and then, and there are different like I started thinking about what he said and I'm like, okay, yeah, there are gearheads and there are hammerheads. All they worry about is the perfect carve or I have to beat my friends in the NASCAR course. And then there's the performance artists like the Marcus Castings who just kind of express themselves through it. But, and, and the weekend warriors and the people who are totally content showing up on Saturday and Sunday and teaching a couple of lessons just because they love passing it along to little kids. And you need to frame your plan within those boundaries that make sense for you. But sometimes I think we present it to instructors in particular, like, here's what you get. You got to do planks. You got to be able to run this far, this fast. You have to be able to do this many jumping jacks or whatever it is, but that's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make sense for everybody. It's not going to turn everybody on. And I think that framing is important. It's important to understand like what your goals are. What's your mission statement? And then come up with your plan. And your exercises. My mission statement is have the most fun possible. <laughs> and, and not get crushed at training like we did a few years ago when we had to do hop turns all day the first day we were on snow. That wasn't that wasn't me. I know it was not you. That was a different coach and different, you know, he's still around. Yeah. <laughs> but that's not to say that we wouldn't do that. Oh <laughs> man, not the first day, coach. Come uh, on. No. Uh, leg day. Wow. I remember, I remember we did that on Monday with the, when the crew came in, you know, the train, who's going to lead groups of training and we hopped all day long. And I mean, you get there, I hadn't even skied yet. I think I was like the only one that hadn't even made a turn yet. Put my skis on. I don't know. Luckily they might've been waxed and we went all day and I wasn't staying for management seminar. I went home for the two days. Thank God I couldn't walk. <laughs> and I got back on Thursday for training. And I don't know if it was a breakfast or lunch. It might have been after the, the day of training. And I was talking to Kathy and I, I had to ask, I said, I said, Kathy, were you sore after Monday? And she kind of looked at me, didn't want to answer. And I just, I just said, I said, I was, I said, I still am. 
She said, oh, my God, so was I. I mean, she, then she had to go out and do exam tasks or management seminar. I'm like, and that's what went around. It wasn't just the two of us. I mean, people were sore after that, the crew that was there. That was brutal. And and uh, I know Matt, Jeb, and Terry are going to laugh at us, but I don't care. Man, I was hurting. Yeah, they were hurting, too. They just didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh man. so i we should chat because it's you just you mentioned it the periodization and um and relating to the book because i think there's a a connection there that i wanted to ask you that um you you talk a lot and and have the phases of the, the periodization you know coming off the season postseason going into starting to prep and it's like a what is it a four or five part periodization you put together there before I mess it up. Well, there's, there's, um, usually there's four, four parts that you can kind of divide the, the year up into if that's, if that's what you're asking. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So when we look at those four phases and then, um, you look at your book, like a lot of people looked at your book when it first came out. I know even Ed staff and we're like, wow, this is, this is elite, which it is. I mean, it really looks at elite athletes and how to do that. But as I've gone through it more than once, I feel that I could take any one of our members and you might scale down the reps or you scale down some of the intensity that any one of our members or anybody that's just coming to skiing could use the periodization and use your book to be able to get ready for skiing. Would right. you agree? I would. Well, of yeah. course I'm going to agree. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> but I mean, you know, can you explain a little bit of how they can do that? Because it is amazing. I mean, this, a World Cup athlete could pick up your book. And look at those things. And that's what they're doing. If you look at YouTube, a lot of the activities and exercise in there, they're doing those. So one of the things I had tried to do was to gather, you know, I, my approach to it was there's so many different sources of information on um, fitness, on fitness um, for skiing, for alpine skiing. And it's here, it's there, it's just in little pieces. And so part of my intention for the book was to gather all that information and have it in one place. Um, and so in in the last chapter, with all those charts, it it I admit it could be intimidating because it's um, but if you're an if you're a spreadsheet kind of person, you'll probably really appreciate how it's organized within each of each of the weeks, there's a plan for, um, you know, a beginner, a beginner, intermediate and advanced athlete, because when you go through a lot of the studies and you look at um, who the who the subjects are, you know, oftentimes it's on elite athletes, but sometimes it's on untrained people. And that's just as valuable or it's on recreational skiers. You know, so we're, our group of our membership is all, is all of that. It include our membership includes professional athletes. It includes recreational, untrained, um, yeah, work out two, three times a week, everybody. So there's, so I had to make it, um, applicable for everybody. You just have to kind of find out where your, <laughs> where your profile fits in and what your goals are. So, um, you know, if you're a novice starting out and you want to become an advanced, you got a lot of work to do. Like there's no easy way to get from point A to point Z without all the letters in between, right? You just got to do it. But I'm going off of the 
I, I think that most of our members are in that middle place where they are active. Um, so intermediate and, um, you know, one of the things they talk about in periodization is it's not just a science, it's an art. And so I can give both of you guys a plan and you can follow it to a T and you can come back to me, Dave, you can come back to me and say, Sue, I did it. I feel like, you know, I don't feel so great. Um, and we would scale it. We would adjust it for you. So. So unless you start trying some of the things, you're not going to know what is, um, you know, you're not going to know what's too much and what's too little. If that makes sense. I will say, I will say that for some of the strength building exercises, I do talk about the um, health benefit. And I mean, physiological benefit of of starting out with a trainer because it's going to create a safe, a safe way to find out what your maximum, what your maximum amount is that you can lift, for example. And I feel like the best way to do that is with somebody else who can, you know, load you progressively to your maximum. Because I think a lot of us are like, Oh, you know, I'll take myself, for example, I haven't picked up a weight in a while. So me being me, I'll go for the hundred pounder. That's what I would do. And then. Hammerhead. Yeah. <laughs> Angela and I can barely lift the bar, man. We go exactly. for the bar. We don't go for the weights. Listen to her. Exactly. <laughs> underneath, underneath this sweatshirt is like a chicken wing arm. <laughs> that's, a ha- that's a handsome sweatshirt, though. <laughs> it's still outlift us, though, Angelo. Right. I mean, Angelo and I were joking the day because he was like, we we're joking. He's in the gym. He, you actually sent a picture of you in the gym with the weights, Angelo. I joined the gym. So, so my point, be- my point being, is that there's a place and time for yeah. for a gym, and and I think it's because you have to your availability so many different increments of weights, different machines, and that is a good place to experiment and to discover, to discover what your baselines are. And then you can go from there and then you can start playing around with the art of it, but you got to figure out like, what's your, what's your baseline. Yeah. And I'm really glad you just said the word experiment because I was going to say that and bring up the fact that like what I see, because this all then has to carry out on, onto the ski hill you know, or snowboard hill, whichever. Um, we've talked about this on, on the podcast before when we had Eric Lipton on this, there, there are some mindsets among instructors in particular. It occurs, I think, right around that moment. And you, I'm sure you see this all the time with new instructors. They'll be on staff for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden go, oh my God, I never knew how much there was to know. Like you've heard people say that, right? And they they begin this process of, of dissecting this performance. And I think people take one of two directions then. And they either become experimental, like an Eric Lipton. Eric, we asked Eric when he began to experiment. He said he took notes from the time he was a kid. And he would experiment on his own. He's 16 years old, junior instructor. He's taken notes on his own coming up with his observations 
and then running them by his coaches and mentors. And like, this is what I'm experiencing. Do you have any input? And then he'd go back out on his own and work more. So you have that mindset, but then you have the people who are seeking justification. Am I doing it right? Mm-hmm. What should I feel? And if you're still in that seeking justification mindset, all the workout stuff, the planning isn't going to be as effective as it could be if you switched gears into a real experimental mode on the hill. And rather than seeking answers and trying to find the magic bullet on the hill, it's like going out by yourself and trying different stuff on your gear, on your skis or snowboard, and doing what Eric did. And I think if you marry those two things, you'd probably find progress a lot faster. Yeah, um, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. You know, when you there's a couple of thoughts that I had while you were while you were talking, and one of them was just please, about. Please um, stop talking. <laughs> no, that, no, no. Was that one of your thoughts, <laughs> Dave? That's no, a no, it was oh, great. Um, <laughs> we've been, you know, I've just been. Uh, listening to a lot of uh, interviews from some of these um, world, you know, the elite ultra runners and and climbers and a couple of things that have come up in their conversations is just that how they've started, how they really started becoming who they are at such a young age. You know, these are people who were introduced to the, to mountains you know, as young children. And so they're, you know, you think about being a child in, in an outdoor environment, it's all experimentation. It's all learning through, through play. And through that, through that, what they do becomes second nature. Um, I also was thinking about some kids that I've coached, you know, race, race training, and it's especially in, you know, all like almost all the kids, athletes, race training, they come down through a course, they're looking at you for feedback every single time. Every single time they want feedback. And there's always a particular point in the season where I say to them, why don't you tell me? You know, I need, I need to start training. We need to start training them to become better um, coaches for themselves. But to your point is to becoming more intuitive, to, to feel a little bit more, to pay more attention to what's happening to their own feet at certain points in the course, at certain terrain changes or offset changes and that stuff. They're the ones who are doing it. I'm only watching it. And how can we be better? And maybe this is a challenge for all of us and anybody who's listening is how can we get better at either coaching our students to be better coaches? Or if we're training for something higher, how can we be better ourselves at self-coaching? What do we need to do? And, um, you know, you talked about Eric Lipton and the conversations. I have stacks of notebooks scattered in various corners of my house, which I don't know what to do with because they're all, it's all handwritten. It's all about skiing, ski teaching. It's how to perform better, how to, how to do tasks better, how to handle teaching situations better. It's 
what solutions I use for what situations. It's all this stuff. It's, you know, and I know Pete Howard has, he carries a notebook um, every year. It's just, we can do better, you know, we can do better at self-coaching um, for everything. What do you think? I, that's been kind of a theme. Um, wouldn't you say, Angelo, that we've been having on the podcast from a lot of the folks we have on our high-level coaches in our organization? Well, yeah, they I mean, with, like reach Rogan, their levels. Rogan with the with the ski poles. Yeah, ski just, page forty-six. I mean, you know what a can of worms the ski pole thing is, and it was just like all he was doing was messing around, seeing how these how it affected his skiing, and and you know it sort of became dogmatic when people saw that his poles were shorter and then but he was like at the same time he was he had been skiing with them really long too just i guess nobody saw that or we'd all be like standing like you know <laughs> armpit cross-country ski ski pole sizing again but yeah it, you have you have to you have to be autonomous to a to a degree you know and i there's uh and i would say to a large degree there's a lot of value in learning the basics and then tuning everybody else out for a while, you know, and doing your own thing. That's how art is made. You know, it's really super cool to know all these different ways to use this brush. But if all you do is look on Google images and copy what other people are painting, that's not art. It's just copying what other people are painting. You know, it's fine to practice the tutorial on how to learn the brush and then Shut your Wi-Fi off for three months and go paint, you know, but we don't do that in the gym. We don't do that in the, on the ski hill. We, we get so regimented and like formulaic and um, quantitative, I think, at the, at the expense of quality. That's what I see, you know, it makes sense because, you know, our organization does offer an exam, like a certification process. So when people are chasing that, it does get very quantitative, but I don't know, man, skiing looks a lot better when it's stylish. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my opinion. Yeah. You can, so you it's one stylish this winter and your new gear. Uh, well, I bought a new kit. Yeah. I'm going to look nice. <laughs> Hopefully ski well, but like, that's the point. Like it, you can go to the gym and do a hundred perfect biceps curls, like textbook. Perfect. But can you run through the woods and jump up and grab onto an irregular shaped tree branch and then bust out, you know, six goofy ass looking pull ups on something that's not a symmetrical bar, you know, because that is transferable, you know. So speaking of that, um, like I said, I've been doing a lot of running. And for, for upper body stuff, yes, I was doing bicep curls, you know, bicep to overhead press, you know, ho-hum, 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 right? Um, and it suddenly occurred to me, it's like, this doesn't actually mimic anything that I do. It doesn't. Um, right. And so I started to change up the weights a little lighter and I was thinking for running, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to start moving the weights more like this to help me, you know, to help my stride, you know, especially when you're going up hills, 
you kind of need a little bit of momentum, a little bit of help from your upper body. So I'm going to start doing it more like this. You know, granted, you have to be mindful of your joints, which is why you'd go light on weights. I don't want anybody to be watching this and go like, oh, I'm going to take some, you know, 30 pounders and start. Well, at least for me, that would be way too much. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing or or even you know, switching to, to winter stuff, throwing a bundle of gates over your shoulder. How, how heavy is a bundle of gates? Heavy, Heavy. right? Heavy. And it's one-sided. You don't, you don't hold it like this, right? You're definitely not going to win street cred points if you hold a bundle like that. (laughs) I mean, I don't know, whatever. Not (laughs) Not where I am. No, 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 no. no <laughs> Not no. where I am. So, so it's like, how can I, like, how much weight can I hold here like this? Hold it up. Isometric. It's an isometric thing. And when, you know, when we talk about fitness and training for skiing, there is that point where it becomes very specific to, to the activity itself up to this point in the season, I'm kind of getting back to the periodization thing up to the point of the season. It's super important to, to like dip your toes into all different kinds of movements, movement pools, working in the three planes. Um, but at a certain point you really need to start getting specific. And so I think at this point, kind of shifting the conversation a little bit for alpine skiing anyway, I, I know that I need to start loading like the lateral, lateral movements, you know, those moving side to side. And because last year I was feeling a little, I use the word vulnerable. Um, like my lower back sometimes feels vulnerable in certain situations. And so I want to start doing some activities to state, to really create better stability in my hip, like hip to spine joint to handle, to be able to handle the lateral loads that are placed on one side. So, so you talk about Angela, you talk about doing, um, was it burpees while you're cooking or planks while you're cooking? What do you do? I do some burpees when I'm running and I'll do some planks when I'm like in the kitchen cooking. So I like to do one footed stuff, stuff while I'm cooking or doing dishes, but I probably need to um, up that and start to add weights like one footed squats or um, with weight or you know, even side box jumps with weight, things like that to just, um, you know, you talk about stress, you talk about stress, but stress is a good thing for our bodies as long as it's not too much. And so we need to start, we, we need to stress in small amounts so that when we come to big hills, icy stuff, bumps, we can handle the big loads of stress, you know, in the short period of time. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be my uh, focus for the next mm, three months is a little stress at a time. It, it's interesting as you, you talk about self-coaching and then you're, you're looking at your own performance and okay, what did I feel last year in the hill? 
mm-hmm. and and how do I add that in? And, and you're already and you're definitely putting it within the plan. And for me, one of the things that I feel I don't do enough of up to this point um, is my flexibility, mm-hmm. getting on the roller. And and I know during the season, I mean, Troy and I, we live with our rollers on the road. Um, there's not a day that we don't hit the foam roller in the morning or end of the day, even after a few beers, which then it gets into that competition thing. Of, and then we get some core strength who can lay on the, on the roller down the back and then lift one foot, lift both arms. And <laughs> there's some falling around. We probably should have our helmets on when we do it. But, um, y- you know, I think that's a big part of it that, that uh, hopefully people will see that, that even though you have the plan, the plan needs to be for you. And there's specifics in there looking at skiing and what your performance is, where you need to focus. And, um, you know, I think this is a great time. Like you're saying, this is the time that people hopefully have that active lifestyle. They have more cardio than they think. I think people work out and our members work out more than they think. Um, just being out hiking, walking on the beach, you know, moving around on even stuff. We saw that in the fitness program last fall. I, was it um, Dosh who went mm-hmm. down to the seashore and he was going around the rocks and that down on the, um, on the water's edge or whatever. It was really cool. Um, but you know, for me, you know, and how important is that Sue? I mean, for me, I'll say, I think it's one of the biggest issues I see with our members and, and folks that I ski with my staff is their flexibility and mobility. Um, sometimes more than strength or endurance. I, I would definitely agree that as we get older, it plays a bigger role than maximum strength or, or being super uh, fit aerobically, even though that's still very important just for life. Um, but flexibility, yeah. And I admit um, I'm, not, I'm not doing as well in that area as I would like to be. I admit and and I definitely respond more when you know that scale of zero to ten, like how much pain do you feel? <laughs> yeah. um, I I respond to that more than a regular routine of it. In other words, I'm not good at the daily stretch. I'm not. Um, I go for a run and then I'm on to the next thing. So. And flexibility for me is more like uh, taking a um, like a racquetball squash, a ball or a tennis ball and rolling my foot over it. You know, there's there's um, lines of fascia, the connective tissue that uh, a lot of it under your foot that that come. You know, if this is your if this is your foot, there's all the fascia that comes up under your heel and then going up your calf and up your backside. And there's lines of that all over your body. And if you think about connective tissue, it's like these are guy, like guy wires, you know, and anytime there's tension there, it just transmit tension all the way up. And so I start with my feet and you'd be surprised, like if you did that, you'd be surprised at how much more flexibility you'd feel in your uh, hamstrings and your calves where your hamstrings meet your glutes you know, those are super important things. And just to stand like, I could actually be having this conversation while I've got 
the my foot rolling over the ball and actually be doing something, you know, beneficial. Yeah. Um, Rather than talking to us. <laughs> well, we all make choices in our lives. Uh, yeah, um, I have my I have my balls for the foot because um I had plantar fasciitis a couple of years ago and oh my god I couldn't that first step in the morning was brutal I didn't know what it was and Margie set me straight so yeah yeah, yeah they travel with me and I'm I'm rolling on them every night on the feet when I do the burpees on my run I've also taught myself to stretch during the run. I, I watched a friend of mine two Memorial Days ago. We were skateboarding and he younger than me, um, early 30s, watched him tear his Achilles tendon. He just was pushing his skateboard and, it, you know, he thought he hit a rock. He stopped dead and it wasn't hitting a rock. It was his from on his pushing foot, his tendon burst. And it was devastating to his life. You know, and I and that I'm seeing that happen is like, oh my God. So I try to do that on the run too. Do do the 10 burpees and then do downward dog for 15 or 20 seconds and just stretch things out. I've also taught myself to walk up and down steep hills. You know, mm -hmm. as I get older, like 15 years ago, I would purposefully try to run up and down those things. But as my SI joints became more damaged through time and they get looser through time and they don't stay in place as much as I wish they would. And you see people get hurt. Like I've taught myself that there are, um, for me, there are times when it makes sense to be in a running gate and there are times when it's more beneficial to not be in a running gate. But again, that's learning yourself, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's a hard conversation to have when you, you, I think we're so wired to maybe maybe not even why we're trained we're so exposed to a training mindset like we used to mountain bike with a bunch of dudes and we and one guy in particular i would remember would call them training rides but we weren't training for anything we weren't like getting ready for a mountain bike race we're just out dorking around but we hear training so much i think that informs us to feel like we always need to be training and then we push ourselves and to me, I'll push myself to injury and then work through like not rest enough and push through the injury and just make it worse. But getting to know yourself also, in my experience, has been like, what, when do I need to walk rather than run? When do I need to stop and stretch for a minute to make this run last, you know, two miles longer than it will if I don't stop and stretch now? You know, and that's all part of the process, I think, of getting to know yourself. So it's interesting you say that because part of my whole summer has been about learning, learning what else is out there, um, specifically with mountain running, ultra running, not that I'm doing ultras, um, but I, I have such admiration for people who do and in listening to a lot of their interviews, it's so much about potential. It's so much about what limits we place on ourselves and also trying to push our limits. And so I think that that kind of speaks to what you're talking about, Angelo, is that we're, we're in this, we're, we're in this mindset of, um, we, we want to push ourselves. That is one of the things that we, 
Um, it's addictive about what we do is pushing ourselves. But you can push yourselves in so many different ways. Like, is it more important to get to the top of the mountain as fast as you can or just to the top of the mountain? You know, or maybe it's to do two peaks in one day. Doesn't matter how long it's going to take you, but just to go a little bit longer, you know, than to get there as fast as possible or to get there beating this other, you know, your buddy. You know, who, who are you ultimately competing with? You're competing with yourself and it's deciding, I think it's deciding in what way, in what way do you want to push yourself? You know, these ultra marathoners are, you know, they're staying up for like days on end. Talk about sleep. There is no sleep. They're sleeping for like literally 10 seconds and getting up and running another marathon. Like that's insane to me. I don't have a desire to do that. I really like to sleep. Um, <laughs> but, and also, and also like the, you know, you talk about zone intense intensity zones of training. You can't, you can't go, you can't go in zone five for, you know, miles and miles and miles. That's not what they're doing. And so, and yet they're, they're, aerobic capacity is huge. It's like off the charts. Right. Um, but they're in lower, they're in lower zones. And so I think it's, it kind of encompasses like this conversation encompasses so much. And we're talking about our own personal potential, finding it, pushing our limits, but also recognizing what, like, what kind of parameters we need to work within to keep ourselves safe, I guess, safe and still upright. So since you're the examiner coach and, um, you know, we call it the examiner coach, the ex coach, but you also work with the other coaches, the dev team, the ACE team coach, um, who am I missing? ETS. Uh, ETS, ETS coach. How can I forget Troy? Um, he makes the national team. I forget about him already. Um, <laughs> he doesn't talk to me anymore. No, he does. Um, so, you know, it, it's not like I, the other question I wanted to ask you is, you know, do you have some plans for the ed staff and looking at, you know, maybe some off snow training, physical training or encouraging the ed staff? I mean, is, are there thoughts there of some avenues you may go, maybe not making us all do certain things, but I mean, is there thoughts in your head to improve the ed staff's performance through some of this off snow and maybe encouraging all of us or some of us to do certain things? So it's funny you, it's funny you ask that question because um, I've tried to put out in terms of putting things out for the ed staff, I've tried to do it by the Friday of um, like the first week of the, of the month. Yeah. So that would be this coming Friday. <laughs> <laughs> you, my goal is to, to submit a, a challenge um, to the ed staff along those lines. And uh, Angelo had bugged me about it. I don't know, a month ago or so you were doing something for your ski schools, your, your staff. And so um, I definitely do want to put something out there fitness wise for our staff. But part of, I, I think you guys know me well enough that I'm pretty respectful of everyone's personal life, private life, their own routines. And so I don't want to, I don't want to put pressure on people that will 
make them feel like they have to completely change their plan, right? Like if you're if you're not into if you're not into trail running, I'm not going to say, hey, do that. But what can I put out there that everybody can incorporate into what they're already doing? So that's that's what I'm going to be. But I also want to add something along the lines of um, mindfulness and training for for that to be better focused um because you know what we do on the hill isn't just about skiing it's also at least for trainers we're there we're listening to people right we listen to people when we're at exams we're listening to people when we're teaching we're listening to each other and and like i said earlier we also have like attention spans that are like <laughs> everywhere. So can we get better at being a little bit um, more mindful, more focused? And so that's a challenge that I'm going to put out there. I like it. I, I think the uh, Ed Steph group likes the challenge mode. Mm-hmm. We, we definitely kind of tend to be a competitive group and uh, you know, we watch each other. Like, I mean, I start feeling do, good. Do you think so, Dave? You just called me out on how much REM sleep you got. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you really it, think it's a competitive crew? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I mean, I watch Jeff Stith on Strava. And, I mean, there's no way. I mean, the only way I catch him is he hits a deer like he did on his bike a couple of weeks ago. And so he's out doing like eight-mile rides now at like four miles an hour on the road on his mountain bike trying to get back on the bike, which he's doing well. But um, it's the only way I beat him on a bike. But, you know, you start feeling good. You get a few PRs, you know, personal records. You know, you're breaking on the bike and feeling good. And then I watch, you know, this young guy that just made our dev team, um, Greg Dolbeck, do this like 200-mile ride around Lake Champlain with his buddies. And I'm going 200 miles, one ride all day. And I'm like, okay. I mean, that 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 it kind of pushes you. It's like a challenge. It's like, okay, I know I'm not going to do the 200-mile ride, but what can I do? You know, how can I challenge myself? So I think people. That's, that's exactly it. It's, it's what kind of time do you have to, I always ask people, what kind of time do you have to give it? Because that's where the like reality, you know, setting, we talk about, we talk about working with our own staffs and, and whenever we're goal setting, it's being realistic. You know, we've got busy lives. Um, and I hate to say it, but none of us are getting younger. So what's, what's realistic? I know. You, uh, <laughs> what is it? Angelo's hitting a big one this year. Oh, yeah, big snow, Dude, baby. It's, What's up it's right my, down there? It's my birth month right now. <laughs> it's your birth month. Wow. Happy he's, he's, he's less than a month from a century. Ooh. Ooh. We're going to expect some good burns half, down there. Big snow. Half a century. Half a century. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're not 100 yet? Come on. I thought you were hitting 100. <laughs> no, despite all the gray. Oh man, you're looking worse than I thought. <laughs> I, just decided, I just decided yesterday that I want to live to be a hundred and have all of those years be really good quality years. Yeah. yeah. I just I set it out there. Um, and I'm really putting it out there now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, both both of our listeners are gonna hold you accountable yeah. for that. <laughs> and we haven't talked oh, about watch. there you go. My watch called me a fat ass about 15 minutes ago. So <laughs> move. You know what we have? Don't you hate when it tells you that to move? Yeah. <laughs> Bastard. 
And we yeah. haven't even talked about like hydration or food at all. Right. Well, that means we get to have Sue back for another That's right. podcast part, if you eight. part two. So, but I do want to before we leave, and I want to make sure you get in there. I mean, this is the gig. This is where I think our members and anybody that wants to get better for skiing needs to look at this book, Be Fit to Ski. Where can they get it to? I know Amazon, right? Uh, Amazon or through my website, befittoski.com. And if there's anybody watching this who has a, uh, a school of people and they want like a bunch of them, I can offer a really, really good discount. On and, and the one thing people are surprised by that um, when Chris and I do our in-person um, MA sessions, movement assessment and movement analysis sessions. I bring this as one of the books that for MA and people go, well, it's a training thing. I'm like, yes, but this can, I mean, for me, I look at this and, it, and look through the stuff. It really describes how people move. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the drills and activities and the, and the training stuff you have in there, it shows how we're moving, how the body moves. And I think this is also a tool for them to use for their movement assessment and movement analysis. Um, even though that's not what it was probably exactly written at, but you have in there, we, there are the, the test piece where you kind of see where you're at to see what body parts are moving, how much, I mean, that is all part of that movement analysis to move it on snow. And I think that, um, great resource that, um, is underutilized by our folks. So hopefully they'll get it out there and uh, jump on it. So on the website, be, be fit to ski. And also if you got, a big number you want to get it for the staff or a group of people email sue yes <laughs> so um any anything else angelo before we let sue go because we don't want we don't want to do everything today because then we won't be able to have her back no just i mentioned it earlier in the podcast and you've had a lot of time to think about it why do you guys ski i'll go uh, for it. i mean i ski because it's fun i i literally have a blast with the actual slipperiness of the snow and the playfulness, the, the, what the ski does in the snow and, and how I can play with the ski on different snow surfaces, the challenge of it. I remember being, which I don't enjoy the snow surface, but being at Stratton and it wasn't just Stratton that year. Everybody at that time was just slippery, so slippery. It was, it was like worse than, than superstar after the world cup. And Brian Watley came in. I was frustrated. I couldn't hold on it. We were skiing the green stuff at the bottom. Watley comes in, Brian Watley. And he's like, you know, that was kind of interesting for about three or four runs that I was, it was a challenge to try to hold on it. Then he saw some of these little racer kids come by ripping it. And he gave up. He said, that's it. They were holding. I wasn't. He said, it wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> but, but I mean, it, for me, it's that, that playfulness of the ski, how I can make the ski do things on the snow. Um, to me, it's like a competition, how well I can make it grip. You know, how you can keep it in contact with the bumps or maybe try to do a lift and run where you never touch the bumps. Um, but yeah, that that's the exhilaration there. And then it's it's fun to share it, man. I mean, I think over the 30 years of teaching, it's it's awesome. That's like with the podcast, it's another venue to share the sport. I I enjoy that. I'm not gonna use as I'm not gonna say as much because I think Dave like covered everything, but I will just say it's the dopamine effect. It's it's just, it's makes me giddy. It makes me, um, there are certain conditions that no, I don't enjoy, but, but I'd always rather be doing that than anything else. And there are certain conditions that literally I, you know, are like, take me to a different place. (laughs) Just they're heavenly. Right. I've never been to heaven. It's Okay. (laughs) 
but I can't imagine if that's what, if that's what it's about, then sure. Uh, <laughs> um, I think it's all dopamine makes me feel awesome. Those are, how about you, Angela? Well, those, those are both like affective answers, which is what I expected, you know? So I just, a point I wanted to make is that I think your workout plan should have some affective aspect to it. Your, your fitness plan should have some, as much pleasure as you just described in the skiing. I, I do it because of what it feels like. And I, and Dave, it's interesting. You took more of a tool usage. Your response was about tool usage, the ski on the snow. I like to look at the terrain and, and use, I like to use it creatively. I think more in terms of my body Mm. rather than, than the gear, but that, that's it. I like to find weird lumpy pitches and crooked side hills and, and big rollers that you come down the backside of and just how much can you style and skid and, 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 and just express yourself on those weird spots. That's, that's why I do it. That, you know, that's what I'm always looking for on the hill. That, that he's that, he's that skateboarder looking for the rail, looking it's for the wall to bang off. Yeah, it's, it is. It's a skate park. That's it. Yeah. So when, yeah. yeah. And then the, the, my training is, I, I feel somewhat a little bit, I don't want to say, I mean, it is kind of lucky for the ski part that a lot of my schedule that takes me away from training, it's still doing stuff that's active on the farm or moving, lifting, lugging, doing stuff, sweating. Um, but then I do put, I mean, the biking, mountain biking and road biking for me are fun. And that's why I use them so much. And, um, but then I work in, like you're saying, Sue, the, you know, the, I mean, I, I've texted you a couple of times the last week or so that, you know, I finally got into the anaerobic zone and I find that more on my road bike. And I do watch that. I mean, I just try to kill myself on some of the hills trying to push it out of that aerobic in the anaerobic zone. And, and I, I've always, I did that kind of cause it was like, okay, when we were skiing the bump run, you know, this is before I had any clue, like I'm putting myself in the anaerobic zone. It was just like, all right. I got to think of that bump run when I get the heart rate up wicked high, when I start getting tired. So that's the hill climb. Um, so I just kind of mimicked it around that and then got lucky down the road when I learned more and listened to people like you that, hey, that actually kind of works. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think there's another part, though, you know, now that i am been given like 10 more seconds to think about it, yeah. um, <laughs> think about your question. There's that philosophy that when you when you're doing something that's risky and slightly dangerous you feel more alive yeah and i think that that's also a really big piece to it so that's you know your speed your slipperiness your um how low to the ground how high off the how low to the ground how high off the ground um you know how much can you move it's that kind of being on the edge of things <clears throat> that makes you feel alive. And um, that to me is, is also very intoxicating and yeah, makes awesome. me keep doing it. Thanks, Sue. Thanks for um, joining us again. And um, starting off the uh, fall and starting off our new, new season, season two of the fall line with KS and company. We're really excited we started it off with you. And um, I will do my homework next week for um, not just the challenge, but there was a few other homework assignments that were put out that I have to watch some videos and stuff. So I'll get on that next week. And um, 
I'm excited that you're coming to Big Snow with us. That's going to be fun. I'll be sending that out very shortly, the info on that. But um, thanks, everybody out there for listening. Angelo, it's great to get season two going. Any parting words for the listeners before we go? Nope. Thanks. It was great. Thank you. Great to see you. Thank you. Awesome. Get out there and do some stuff, folks, and start thinking about the final prep for skiing. It's coming soon.